welcome to the Holden Village podcast. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. I'm Cynthia, Cynthia Molovita, and I teach theological ethics and faith-based social transformation at the Lutheran Seminary in Berkeley which is PLTS, Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary. And then I also serve on the doctoral faculty of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. And I am here because I was invited to teach about climate justice. And it is so tremendously important to me to do that. And we have just begun at PLTS a new, we've just launched a Center for Climate Justice and Faith that has some really amazing programs, both for seminary students and for the church at Broad. And I also wanted to be here to kind of share that information and keep learning about it and think about collaboration possibilities with Holden Village. And I'm here because I love being here. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I first came here when I was nine or ten, so that was a long, long time ago. It was just, it was soon after the village had opened, had begun, yeah. They were inaugurating the new koinonia. Mm -hmm. um, my parents' best friend had designed it, mm -hmm. and so we were here to celebrate that. Well, yeah, at different parts of my life. I've been on staff up here in the wintertime and in the summertime, and those experiences were really important also. And now we've had the joy of bringing our, we brought our sons here when they were young, mm -hmm. and now our grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So that's thrilling too. To me, it's vitally important because we adults today, alive now, are situated at what some have called the most important three to five years in human history. One major climate scientist, scientist calls this the most important period of three to five years in human history because climate, the climate catastrophe is so enormous and we could make changes in the next, we could vastly reduce carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions in the next three to five years to, we can't avoid climate catastrophe at this point, but we can avoid the worst of climate catastrophe. So it seems to me that and partly because we in this society, high-consuming people around the globe are the ones primarily causing climate change, but other people are suffering from it. So disproportionately poor people, and that means people of color, are being killed and displaced and will be. So there's a tremendous moral problem that we should be causing something that other people are dying from. Um, and for the church, given that as, as I understand it, we are literally created and called to receive the love of God and live it into the world. And if that is the case, and God's love is justice-seeking, then there is no more central calling of the church in our day than to, one, work to mitigate climate change, but two, work to do it in ways that will not leave the most vulnerable to, to, to suffer and die while, while saving ourselves. So doing climate-related work, but always with a racial justice and an economic justice lens, mm -hmm. 
to me, that's vital to the, to the being. And the church has so much to offer to that, just so much. And if the church doesn't call upon its resources, no one else will. Like Buddhism has so much to offer and Judaism. And so Christianity and the gifts of Christianity um, are vital, just vital. <laughs> including the, the possibility of holding both hope and despair at one time. To me, that's become so life-giving to acknowledge despair and that I also have hope and that the hope is greater. And those are, those are really grounded deeply in, in a theology of the cross and resurrection um, for me. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the reasons that it's really important to me. I didn't come at climate change out of interest in climate change primarily. I came out of it out of long, decades-long work on economic justice and racial justice. But then I began, I learned that you can't look at either of those without looking at the disproportionate impact on people of color and poor people. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of why I'm doing what I'm doing, mm -hmm. yeah. What are some of the barriers to people understanding mm. and joining this movement? You know, I think one, I mean, one barrier, of course, is so many people in this country, climate-privileged people, don't recognize the magnitude of what's going on. So we're beginning to glimpse it with the fires and such, but not experiencing it to the extent that others are, it's easy to pretend, deny, ignore that it is going on. But then secondly, once you start to see the interweaving of the systems of power, the, the, the fossil fuel industry and its relationship to the plastics industry and the way it fueled the plastics industry and the, 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 the forces that are keeping things as they are in order to maximize profit and maximize consumption and production in order to maximize profit in ways that are maintaining an extractive, exploitive economy. The more you know, the more hopeless you can get because the power just seems so great. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the things getting in the way. First, not knowing, and then once you know, you just get bowled over in despair. So to me, that's important to recognize. And then um, to claim the profound truth that in spite of our brokenness in climate sin, we are also promised that God's reign of abundant life for all will be and that we are to work toward that. So that's a huge promise. Um, and some people will say, well, if that's God's ends, then we don't need to do anything. But that's ridiculous because God reaches God's ends by working through human beings. So, um, and just the very real barriers of time and energy. But um, we are called to rapid, um, what I would call eco-justice reformation of the church and society. And, and that is possible. Um, and and uh, so, so, but those are some barriers, I think. Right. Yeah, and and our, uh, I think another thing that is a kind of barrier is the extent to which we don't really acknowledge our own grief and pain. And to me, that's another thing that church can offer is space to lament and repent mm -hmm. 
um, and acknowledge grief and pain. And acknowledging that is what, there, there's an amazing um, sermon in a book. Emily Towns is a womanist ethicist. Um, she's the, the dean at Vanderbilt School of Theology. And in one of her books, I think it's called Breaking the Fine Reign of Death, there's a sermon. She opens with a sermon she had preached. And she draws upon the book of Joel to talk about that at a time in Israel's history when chaos and social dis disintegration reigned, it was people's communal collective lament, crying out to God, that helped bring cohesion and the capacity to go forward. And I just think that is so important, communal lament. Like we should be wailing in the streets. And, and so I, I think the church can and could make space for lament and repent yeah. that can get us forward. I think it's yeah. very potent because it feels like it, it frees up our space yeah. for action yeah. and, and imagination. That's so real. I mean, you think individually. If you repress your grief, it eats you away. Um, and if you don't, it does free up space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What mm -hmm. are some of your influences or inspirations for this work? Oh, oh. Wow. Actually, w one of my influences was the church in India. Um, I was in India. I was asked to come for about, for a month, and it was years ago, and to work with seminaries and the Council of Churches that were developing a required eco-justice curriculum in the seminaries. And when I got there and got to the place we were doing our workshop, there was a group of people leaving and they looked kind of accomplished but weary. And I asked what they had been doing. They were the leaders of the church and they had just spent three days designing an eco-justice Sunday school curriculum to spread throughout Northern India. That inspired me. Uh, I mean, that was before we were even talking about that in broad pictures here in the US. And then they also taught me to see climate change, not to call it climate change, but to call it climate colonialism. And they said that the, uh, the, the powerful societies and sectors within them are colonizing the atmospheric commons with our greenhouse gas emissions. And to me, that was an influence. That helped move me along the trail of seeing climate change as a form of racism um, because its impact on people of color um, so, so those were inspirations to me, and um, my mentor in doctoral work, Larry Rasmussen, was an inspiration. And I think more recently, realizing how much the climate justice movement globally is so strong and so led by young people and people of color, the um, indigenous, environmental justice networks, um, the role that um, Latino and African-American communities are saying in pushing for a just transition, not just a transition to renewable energies, but a just transition that, that, that renders a transition to renewable energies in ways that doesn't hurt um, vulnerable people. I think that movement and that leadership has inspired me a lot, yeah. What can folks take away um, from your uh, offerings this week in, in terms of like 
resources mm. and, and ways mm. that they can engage. I hope they can take away the capacity to name their fear and anger and grief and even despair and say yes to it and to also at the same time paradoxically claim their power and their hope and their joy in this kind of work. And I hope people can also take away the understanding that they're not in just an I trying to do something, but a we that is um, expansive and it's global and it's mm -hmm. local and it's cross-species, mm -hmm. like humans aren't the only ones. Mm -hmm. um, the trees are doing more than we're doing to, to, um, to mitigate against climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and, and so I hope people can take away a sense of we-ness and a sense of hope, as long, uh, along with some really specific tools we've talked about. <laughs> it is something else to rethink ourselves as a we. Yeah. Like even our bodies are not eyes. They're, they're full of, we're just filled with living organisms, um, little trillions of organisms in our bodies. And so that makes my body not an eye, but my body's a we. And also that it sounds like physics is teaching us and other sciences that even our atoms are jumping around, interfacing with other bodies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, we have falsely understood ourselves in modernity as eyes. Uh -huh. And then to think that our, you know, our breathing requires the, the plants to be breathing or to be doing their thing. And if they weren't, we wouldn't be. That's an amazing reality. And that when we die, we decompose and we become, we become Earth again. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it is a, an amazing time to be people of God. Mm -hmm. That it's just an incredible gift to be alive now at this time. Um, who else has had? No one, no other people have had the chance to be alive at a time that, that so much is at stake. So to be the church now is a blessing and a gift as well as a calling. A an amazing, it's just an amazing gift to get to be here alive now. When I was spending a little bit of time in a Buddhist temple, I remember reading a line that said, to be alive as a human is precious, rare, and infinitely meaningful. Mm -hmm. And that struck me, but it, and it strikes me even more in the context of of climate change, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. Blessings and peace to you.